Morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. When we hear the word meek, we often think of, or possibly think of, the most gentle, soft-spoken person in the room. That person who's always quiet. Who you never see get excited about much of anything. They're people who are dispassionate. They're easygoing. Nothing ruffles their feathers. We often think when we read this, the meek shall inherit the earth, the gentle. It's another word that's often used to go with it. We often ascribe it to personality or to mannerisms. But that's not biblical meekness. Biblical meekness is about freedom. Freedom to learn, to trust, to wait on the Lord. Not only freedom to do something, but freedom from other things. Anger, bitterness, vengeance, and worry. That's just kind of a brief overview of the thought of gentleness. But how do you arrive at that? Well, you chase the word meek through Scripture. And so we're going to do that a little bit this morning. Blessed are the meek. As I said last week, and I think the week before, you don't separate these beatitudes off and say, well, I'm pretty good at that one, but uh, not so much at this one. These are characteristics of kingdom citizens. All kingdom citizens. We don't pick and choose between which beatitude we're going to live according to. We take and we recognize that they're all connected together. You don't separate them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know that they are bankrupt before God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, unless you're poor in spirit, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. But you will, if you're poor in spirit, mourn. And you will mourn because of your sin. You will mourn because you realize that you have sinned against a holy God. You will grieve over the ways that you have offended the living God. And then that God, seeing your poverty of spirit, seeing your mourning over sin, what does he do? He's the one who comforts us. He's the one we offend with our sin. And he's also the one who brings comfort. Here we see the outflow of those two called meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth or the land. Um, 
my first sermon, my introductory sermon, I talked about how Jesus was not just making this stuff as, uh, up as he goes. He was actually expositing Scripture. And for today, it would, uh, we'll find in Psalm 37 where he is bringing out the thoughts of that particular psalm. But I want to show you and uh, explain who are the meek. What, what do meek people do and think? What is the system or pattern of their living Just to let you know, I had a number of people say, you know what, I don't think I want to come for that meek one. Understand. Probably the battle, I mean, gentle, meek. It's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit as well. And it's the one I probably struggle with the most. But I want us to see uh, three things today. First of all, I want to give a description of the meek from Psalm 37, where Jesus is, I believe, expositing the psalmist, David. Secondly, I want us to see a demonstration of the meek. What does that look like in everyday life from Scripture? And then lastly, I want us to see the promise for the future. A promise for the future. So, if you're writing down an outline, a description of the meek, a demonstration of the meek, and promise for the future. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. I read the first few verses from it this morning before my pastoral prayer. And uh, uh, we're, m- most of us are very familiar with some of the passages in here, and particularly verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And I want us to notice a couple of things. First of all, I want us to notice uh, the, uh, the way that the psalmist is directing his own heart. But I also want you to notice the psalmist's devotion and psalmist reliance upon God in this text because that's what he's doing. He's relying on God in adverse circumstances. So let me read beginning in verse 5, since I read 1 through 4 already. Beginning in verse 5, and I'll go through uh, verse 11. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Make a note of that in your mind. Verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you, careful, though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit 
the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. As we look at this, we may think, well, I see where you're talking about in verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land. But did you notice in verse 9 where it says, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Meekness and and those who wait both get the same thing. Very closely connected. I I think it's important for us to see that. And I want to go through uh, chapter 37 now. And I want to point out four ways this tells us what the meek are like. Understand what's going on here. He's saying there in verse 4, or verse 1, Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Later on, it says uh, in verse 9, The evildoers shall be cut off. You know, in David's time and and times before and after him, there were often evildoers who took land from people simply because they outnumbered them. And they had stronger armies, if you will. And they were able to overrun families and clans and peoples uh, who had possessions. They had, and the possession then, land. Land that had water, land that had food, land that had pastures for uh, all their flocks and so forth. Evildoers would overwhelm them. It says here that they, evildoers, uh, will soon fade like the grass and wither like the herb, the green herb. In other words, the psalm is pointing out to us, evildoers will not endure. Scripture talks to us about uh, be careful not to be envious. It actually says it right here. Don't be envious of the wrongdoer. Why? Because sometimes what happens is those who do wrong prosper. Don't envy them. Because the prosperity they earn in this life is gaining for them eternity and punishment. Instead... We see here that the psalmist recognizes a few things that help us. And so in a description of the meek, who are those that are meek? First of all, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Those who are meek, the meek, trust in the Lord. They trust in the Lord. Biblical meekness begins uh, with the truth that God is for you. Isn't that great news? I, I always love that. I like saying that. I work it into a lot of sermons. God is for you. You can trust Him. I mean, He comes right out and says it in Romans chapter 8. If God is for you, it's an assumption that He is, who can be against you? Even these evildoers, these wrongdoers who have maligned you, who have stolen your property, who have uh, uh, perhaps even uh, harmed or killed some of your family. God is for you. It begins with that assumption. Meekness begins with that. Biblical meekness does. Thought is, is that he will vindicate you against evildoers. I mean, he says that. They're not going to last. They're going to fade like the grass. 
Instead, it says here that the meek person seeks to do good. And to do the good that God designed for him from the very beginning. From before the foundation of the world. And so we see, first of all, one of the characteristics of those who are meek is they trust God. They trust the Lord. Secondly, look with me at verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. We see the trust there again, but we see a step further. Commit your way to the Lord. Those who are meek commit their way to the Lord. Uh, The trust that the meek have in God leads toward committing our way to the Lord. Of course, way there is path or your life, the pattern of your life. You commit all things to Him. Interesting, the Hebrew word for commit means to roll or to roll off. The thought of committing yourself to the Lord is rolling off all the things that are obstacles, that are oppressive on your mind. Do y'all ever just have this weight in the day? And maybe it's even when you first wake up in the morning knowing what your day has before you. You spend time in prayer, and as you're praying, you're rolling off the care of those things onto God. So the, 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 the picture of the word to commit your way is to roll it off of you onto God. Folks, that's very much our relationship with God, isn't it? Because when you think about it, that's what we do with our sins, too. And actually, he's taken them from us. But this is talking about the worry and the strain. The things that tempt us away from him. To roll it off onto God. The meek trust God and roll the pressures and the stresses and the obstacles of life over onto him. Believing God will, it says here, act on their behalf through the righteousness of God. That we live out daily. In other words, no, no matter what obstacle comes your way, don't let it prevent you from staying on the way of the Lord and trusting Him in everything. Next is we see that the meek wait for the Lord. The meek wait for the Lord. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Why is that? Because those who wait will inherit the land. Verse 9, God will act. But He'll do so on His own time. We don't get to tell God when to take our Pressures away. We roll them over onto him, but we don't allow, uh, we, we can't tell God his timing when the marauders come and take away everything. We, we don't get to let God know, you know what, I'm good on Tuesday at six. 
No, instead, we wait on the Lord. The Lord has His own will. He's sovereign and we can trust Him. We can completely trust Him. The implication here is that the one that is meek will not attempt to vindicate himself, but will wait for the Lord. There's no need to be defensive. The meek recognize that. I don't have to defend myself. I can trust the Lord. And I can commit my way to him. So in light of this, what we see is that we're able to maintain a steady calm in the midst of trouble. That's what the meek do. Things blowing up all around them. Life coming undone. (laughs) What's the meek do? Hey, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Lastly, verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. I tell you what, y'all need to use that sometime this week. Somebody you see, they're wringing their hands over life in some way, you know. Fret not yourself. Let me pray for you, you know. Fret not yourself. Trust in the Lord. Use that this week. Fret not yourself. Don't worry is what it's saying in essence. As the wicked prosper, the meek person does not worry. Doesn't fret over it. He's entrusted himself to God. Who is sovereign over all things and believe God will act. The presence and opposition of stress... The meek do not let bitterness and anger build up because that's where it goes. Look what it says. Fret not yourselves. It tends only to evil. Worry tends only to evil. And more times than not, worry manifests itself in bitterness and anger and vindictiveness. The meek, don't try to do that because they trust the Lord and they've committed their way to Him and they're waiting on God to act. So our description up to this point tells us that the person who is meek is a person who is peaceful. And when I say peaceful, I mean they're unshaken. They're unmoved by the stresses and worries that come upon them in this world. Unlike the Seed of the sower that fell on rocky soil and it sprung up and when the cares of the world came, it withered. The meek endure.
They're peaceful. But also, the meek are those who are free from being angry at the unrighteous so that it manifests itself in that bitterness that can pollute our souls. But instead, they entrust themselves to God. I want us to look at a couple of places. Uh, I looked up the word English Standard Version is what we use, so I looked it up in that. It's only used ten times in all the Bible. I'm sure the concept is there much more, but in chasing down the word, there's a few places where I chose to hang out today. One of those is Numbers chapter 12, because it speaks of Moses as being the meekest man in the world, literally. So look with me at Numbers chapter 12. Here we find that there's a little sibling tiff going on, okay? You know how those sibling tiffs can be. So Moses and Aaron and Miriam are, well, actually Aaron and Miriam, they're a little miffed at Moses. See, they don't like his wife. And so they decide, you know what, we can lead. Obviously, his judgment is off. And in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. Uh-oh. <laughs> now something's going to go on there. and it's, it's, The rest of the narrative is not my point. The rest of the narrative is to ask this question, why did the Lord choose verse 3 where it is? Why did he mention the meek nature of Moses in this squabble? I, I think the point is that Moses saw no need to defend himself against his siblings. I think we see Moses waiting on the Lord. Moses knew that he had called to lead the people. He had been called to lead the people. He knew that God had authorized him for this particular role. This was not the first time People came up against him, nor would it be the last. And so what did he, Moses do? He waited on the Lord. He waited for the Lord to do something. He, Moses didn't boast or lash out at them. Instead, he waited. 
He didn't seek revenge. He didn't call down the quail that were coming around to peck their eyes out. He waited. And the Lord vindicated him. From this we add to our four things that meekness is the power to absorb criticism and adversity while you wait on God. It's the ability to absorb criticism and adversity while you wait on God. While people wag their tongues about you. While they criticize you for your faith. While they criticize you for your thinking. Moses absorbed all that and just waited on the Lord. It's a demonstration of meekness we find here in Scripture. Secondly, I want us to go to the New Testament. I want us to see in the book of James some things that he points to in reference to a demonstration of the meek. How is it demonstrated? James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger. Why? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Remember something that, uh, the, the, that meekness does. Is it gives us the freedom from being angry about something. That's what meekness does. It gives us the opportunity to step away from that. How, how do we do that? Well, we're quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Anybody else wrestle with those things? Because don't we all have opinions? And we want all of our opinions to be heard, don't we? I mean, we want everybody to know, hey, you know what, I got an opinion. Hey, you know what, I got an opinion too. Yeah, that matters less to me. That's not the meek person. James is describing two people. Look at verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive With meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, there's a couple of different people involved here. Uh, One is a person uh, with the devices of argument that are driven by filthiness and rampant wickedness. This is a person who has an opinion, and it's right. You don't know any of those guys. That person's opinion is right. He has an agenda and he intends to move it forward. 
And no obstacle will prevent him moving it forward. He'll even utilize filthiness. He'll utilize rampant wickedness to get his way. He has an agenda. Usually this person has an opinion and nothing else. Nothing on which to base the opinion, just himself. He's the only authority on his opinion. No other authority. I just think it needs to go this way. Just so you know, I'm not describing the meek person. I'm describing a different person. One who is not meek. And that's what James is describing when he says, they therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The second person that we see here is meek. What are the, what are the characteristics? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Remember, freedom from anger. Freedom from needing to defend myself. And so what we see is James describing this. And this person listens. According to what? Well, what James is instructing the ones to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. He tells them instead to uh, receive with meekness the implanted Word. This quality, to add to the list, is someone who is teachable. Someone who is teachable. Someone who listens. And they may disagree with whoever's speaking. But then they have some logical argument. Or some scripture that they go to. And now their ears perk up and say, okay, you finally got outside yourself describing your opinion, defining what you think, and now you're going to support that opinion with something other than your own notions. And so we see that, uh, that James is... is uh, helping us to see the importance of the implanted word. This person who is meek listens according to the word of God, measuring what is said against what the word says. He knows there is truth that is beyond himself. And never mistake that the person who is meek is in pursuit of truth. He doesn't merely want his opinion to stand. He will allow his opinion to move away in light of truth. There are some people whose opinions outpace their theology. 
and they will hold to their opinion before they will hold to the word of God. The meek do not do that. They're able to learn and to be moved from some opinion that they may be holding. And that's something we need to realize, that the meek know their own fallibility. They know I could be wrong. They don't merely say it. They demonstrate it by going, you know what, let's, let's shut this down. And let's go another way. Because you've proven my way is not right. James uses a, the word again in chapter 3. James chapter 3. Look with me, if you will, at verse 13. I'll read all the way through verse 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness. There it is. Of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You hear it all coming together? All the things we've been talking about? The meek are in pursuit of truth. The meek are free from anger and bitterness. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Notice verse 17 particularly. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. There's a lot of similar words there and definitions to meekness in that text. Why? Because in verse 13, Paul connected meekness and wisdom Really pretty much is one and the same. Those who are meek operate in wisdom. They walk in wisdom. And the wise are not jealous. They're not selfishly ambitious. They don't boast. And they don't hold back the truth. So the description, I think I've got them all written down here, of the meek is that of one who trusts in the Lord, commits his ways to the Lord, waits for the Lord. It's a peaceful freedom from anger and vindication. He's not defensive and is able to absorb criticism and adversity. He is teachable. And he is discerning. He is wise. I want us to know, though, 
that meekness does not eliminate passion. It doesn't eliminate standing toe-to-toe with someone that you disagree with and going at it, looking for truth. I mean, voices could be raised, people could stand up, you know. Uh, you know, there could be all kinds of things going on. You know, no, I think this. You know, I mean, somebody pounding on the table. No, I think that this is what the Word says, or this is the truth, and this is the way that we should go. And passionate, please, for the, for the truth. Two people can be going at it, both of them, very passionate in their position. And still be practicing meekness. Why? Because they're pursuing the truth. Why? Because they're willing to be taught. And to learn from your argument. You can maintain the characteristic of meekness if you're pursuing the truth and you're not merely relying on just your opinion. That you are self-authoritative and your self-authority ought to apply to everyone around you. You're not doing that. You're still practicing meekness. Now, if you punch the guy, that's different, okay? We can be passionate about what we believe in, but it can never be simply because this is your opinion. It needs to have something that backs it up. It can be experience. It can be the Word of God. But it can't be just because you don't like the options. If they're listening for a reasonable argument and they think it through, they're practicing meekness. On the other hand, two people can be talking softly and never raise their voice. I've been in those conversations too. People just, I mean, they're just soft-spoken and they never, they never rise up. Their voice never rises above what mine is right now. And they come to this occlusion. Well, we'll just agree to disagree. I have my opinion, you have your opinion. Yeah, but you can't lead a church that way. You can't lead a home that way. You can't lead a business that way. This is very much about how we relate to others and how we lead. Somebody can be very soft-spoken and never refer to anything but their own opinion. And they are not being meek they're not being meek
So I want us to see that meekness is not merely being gentle. Someone who is meek loves, adores, wants to know more of the truth. And in that position, they put everything of their life on the living God. I mean, think back. When you get right down to it, where we started today in Psalm 37, meekness is about God first. We trust Him. We commit our ways to Him. We wait for Him. And while we wait, we fret not. We don't worry. We don't let the enemy's activities and the wicked people around us influence us to where we disregard the Word of God. Let me take a moment to go back to Matthew 5. I know I started off with that. But it's only one sentence, so I had to go elsewhere. (laughs) Just to understand what does it mean to be meek. But it says there, blessed are the meek. Was it blessed? Y'all remember? That's that person who finds his satisfaction in God, who is walking in step with the God who has saved him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want us to think about this. God promises the land. Or the earth. What does that mean? Back in Psalm 37, you may recall that the wicked are seen as gaining land while the righteous are displaced from it. But the wicked do what? They fade away like the grass. Wither like the green herb. Or in verse 10, in just a little while, The wicked will be no more. Now what? Who's going to inhabit the land? The righteous, the meek, will inherit the land. The wicked are gone. Why? God did what he said. He vindicated them. They didn't have to defend themselves. They didn't have to... Uh, do all these things. Now, it's, it's not that they didn't pursue justice and righteousness. But they accepted what came, ultimately. And said, God will take care of it. And God vindicated them. And so the land is wide open because the wicked have been dispersed. So take that thought 
And let's not only apply it to a future promise, but let's apply it also to a present reality. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see Paul is dealing with divisions in the church. And uh, there are things that are uh, arguments that are taking place that obviously, based on what he writes, are not meek. Okay? Uh, They're not working through these things well. But in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see that he says something. He goes, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise, remember wisdom and meekness go together in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. He's talking about the wise of the world there. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men. Remember what Moses didn't do? He didn't boast about his position with God. He didn't boast and put Miriam and Aaron in their place. He waited for the Lord. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future... All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Let us see this, and let us understand what's going on here. He's saying you don't have to boast about something. You don't have to defend yourself. Because the world doesn't like your opinions that are based on the Word of God. You don't have to vindicate yourself against those who come against you and revile you and persecute you. He's going to get to that one later, but look at the ending of it. You don't have to do that. Why? For all things are yours. How so, Lord? You know, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas, They're speaking truth. Let's don't haggle over that. See, they weren't using wisdom. Let's don't haggle all those things. All things are yours. Paul's going to say it another time. Don't you know you're going to judge the angels? And he says here, all things are yours, including what? The world. The land, the earth. We can walk in liberty. We can walk in freedom as the children of God. Not concerned with all the politics and the social dilemmas and all those things. We can walk free. from bitterness against it, from anger 
against it. When I say anger, I mean anger that drives toward bitterness. Be angry and yet do not sin. There is a righteous indignation that every Christian ought to have against some of the atrocities that take place in this world and some of the immorality that is legislated into our laws. And some of those, we ought to be angry over those things. But in arguing them, we do so from a position of meekness. Okay, you say that it's, it's your right. But let me show you what the Word of God calls it. He calls it evil. He calls it murder. It's one thing to be righteously angry. It's another thing to rise up in anger and become bitter. And that bitterness begins to well up in you and it turns into bitterness against everything. That's not what Christ called us to. Instead, he called us to trust and look to this promise of the future. The whole world is yours. You can walk in freedom from the anger and freedom to trust God in all these things. Because he is our good, gracious, sovereign God. And he has instilled in us the characteristic to be meek and inherit the land. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us as believers in Jesus Christ to walk, to live, to speak in meekness. Let us grow in wisdom, let us all, Lord, have minds that are absorbent and teachable. Father, let all of us, Lord, trust you. Let us feel, Lord, the absence of weight on our shoulders as we roll off the stresses and pressures of this world. And Father, help us, Lord, to learn to wait on you and not to act out of a place of bitterness or embarrassment or anger, but instead to wait on you to work. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.